Hello, everyone. Uh, I'd like to update you on what's going on with the Roadwork program. Uh, we have some new time constraints, and we can't record shows that are infinitely long anymore, and we don't want to neglect our Patreon subscribers and that half of the show, which is some of the funnest stuff we do. So uh, our new model is going to be, we're going to keep the free part of the show kind of tight, you know, like a, a tight 45 minutes. And then every week we're going to do the Patreon content, which is going to be another tight 45 minutes where we answer your letters and, uh, and talk about stuff that maybe wouldn't make it into the free show. So um, that's going to be our 2022 plan. Uh, so the, the free shows are going to be a little bit shorter and hopefully a little tighter. And then every week, uh, reliably, we're going to post onto the Patreon content the second half. And that way, um, everyone will be happy, including me. The show is going to be a little bit different, but we're going to be able to keep going forward in all our glory. Thank you. Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. Oh, you got it working. Yeah, not really, but it's but here I go. What yeah, was, uh, what was going on? I think this is what the listeners want to hear. Well, I'm having some computer problems, Dan. I've got a uh, I've got a piece of equipment here uh, by the Apogee company, and um, <clears throat> it needed me to update my firmware, as you as you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and the way the computer works, computers work. I don't. I don't want to have to tell you how computers work, Dan. Yeah. But when they need something, they just stop whatever you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <clears throat> they say, "Oh, I need you to update my firmware." Now, maybe you can tell me, Dan. Yeah. Did did it? Did it need me to be a half hour late to the recording of our show because it needed something? Is that? Is that what our relationship is like? My my relationship with my computer, it it needed something. Yeah, it wanted couldn't, you to couldn't do wait. something. No, couldn't wait. I mean, it's you know, it could. Did you update your operating system? Sometimes that gets very picky about things like that. But you know, like it, mm. it, it it's always frustrating when it, it, it decides. Windows notoriously bad with this. Like you sit down to work and like, oh, we've got an update that's going to take three hours, and it's mm -hmm. starting now. Because your computer is just rebooting by itself. Yeah. So that's <clears throat> what happened. I mean, it, it took me a while to do that. And then it, then it changed the settings. Things were muted. Mm. So I thought something was broken. But I, you know what I did, Dan? I went in and I, I pushed virtual buttons. Yeah. Until something changed. And, and you know, I'm not a complete audio noob. No. Uh, and if it were a console, I would have been pushing real buttons. Mm -hmm. And if I'd been pushing real buttons and then it, it changed like it just did, which is to say not really connected to any button I pushed, I pushed virtual buttons and then it started working. It's not that I pushed a button and it started working. It was that I pushed a bunch of buttons and then all of a sudden kind of unrelated to the button pushing it was working. Yeah. Very frustrating for me as someone who likes buttons. You know, I, I think I've talked to you about this before. There's a fashion in audio <clears throat> called the big knob, the big knob fashion. 
um, they started making these boxes that just have one big knob. And it looks very elegant on your desktop. Look at that knob. Mm -hmm. That's a big old knob. It's not some dumb old-fashioned box that had a lot of little knobs that, like, where you knew what each knob did. It's just got one big knob. Mm -hmm. And then you... Then you can change what the knob does. Right. Yeah. My, um, my, um, I use universal audio if I have a choice. And so the That's universal nice. audio preamp that I have is like their, uh, it's called the arrow, which I don't recommend. Yeah. I don't want anyone to go and buy this thing that there are better ones out there. Um, and the, well, the main problem, I don't want to get too much, you know, into a rabbit hole, but the problem I have with this one is there's no on off switch. It's hmm. powered. Uh, it powers and delivers its audio in and out through the uh, Thunderbolt port on it, Thunderbolt yes. 3 port on it, and there's no yes. way to turn it off. It's always on. And I understand that, like, in theory, like your high-end, higher-end audio gear is meant to, like, you you rack it up, you plug it in, and it's it's always on from now on, like, until until you close down the studio and, you know, right. retire. Burn it to the ground. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they never are turned off. But I... I don't live in that world. I want to turn stuff off. And so I found that the only way to do that is to constantly plug and unplug uh, the connection, which is really dumb. So anyway, that's my biggest complaint about it, but it works great otherwise. And it does, it has the same thing you're talking about. It has one giant ass knob on it and you, there, there are a few other little buttons and sometimes you have to push down on the knob to get it to sort of cycle through the different settings Mm, everything mm. is controlled by the knob. And you know where I remember seeing that first? The first time I remember seeing this, I didn't have this vehicle, but I knew someone that did, was in a BMW Series 8. This was maybe, I don't know, like 10, 15 years ago, somewhere in there. And instead of having like buttons and things you could actually control, it just had this exact same thing you're describing. It had this knob, this big knob sitting big knob. there. And you, and I guess the idea was you could be like driving and you could have your hand on the center console where you probably have it anyway. And just right beneath your fingertips, there's this big ass knob that I guess they thought you would use to just control everything. You can control the AC with it. You can control the radio with it. You can do pretty much everything except shift and drive the car with it. Every other function. And I don't like that. I want a separate, but I was just thinking about this yesterday how more and more the controls for your car, your truck, whatever are being moved from physical switches into a screen that controls yeah. everything. And I was thinking about how they're doing that. All the new airplanes have that too. And that's the way yeah. of the future, but I hate, I hate it. I want a button for everything. When I, when I start that truck, if I want the AC or the heat to come up, I don't want to wait for something to boot up and a screen mm -mm. to display the Ford logo for 10 minutes. No, I want to mm -mm. turn a dial. And that's mine still has that, but they're moving away from it. I hate it. You know, the 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 Volkswagens of the nineteen seventies, and I as I say this, anyone who's listening on earth <laughs> is gonna know what I'm talking about. The Volkswagens and the Mercedes Benzes of the nineteen seventies and eighties perfected the industrial design of the climate control. Mm -hmm. They had the little they had the two knobs, and one of them was temp, and one of them was fan speed. And then they had, and it, it had no words on it. It was all graphical. You know, there was this the slider from cold to hot or whatever. You know, like a, a, as I say it, I'm I'm um, 
I'm picturing it in my head, but it was such a, it was such an intuitive and simple thing because what do you want? You want it to be hotter or colder. Sure. You want it to be coming out of this or coming out of that. Right. You know? Yeah. And, um, and they used this design from on everything from the, the base model rabbit to, you know, more or less the top level Mercedes Mm -hmm. for what seemed like long enough that it would just be institutionalized as the way that we thought of climate control. And then at some point, uh, they decided that they needed to put it all on a screen and it needed to be one big knob and it needed to be something that if you, that first of all, you had to study in order to understand. And then as you were driving, it would still be a very confusing array that you'd have to, you'd have to understand first, you know, and then your hand, I think you would have to, you'd have to put yourself in lab conditions uh, and then practice doing it with your eyes closed (laughs) until you could, you know, it it became like a, like, like seal training. How do you (laughs) operate this submarine in, in complete darkness? Right. And uh, I do, I feel like everything is that now this, this machine could and just did stop working and but one day it could just do it and give me no indication you know like a machine the other thing that's confusing about this is this is a usb machine and yet every time i turn it on or turn it off or it cycles through something it audibly clicks not in the headphones but the box itself clicks and i wonder whether it is because I don't think there's anything mechanical in it. I wonder if it's a thing like where they give Tesla's fake engine sounds to I keep people from. And I think I think it's like the power hitting something inside of it can make a can make a sound. A click. Yeah. But it like feels it feels like it's a click I've never heard from another device. <laughs> like it's a signature sound that some engineer was like, oh, we're going to put a cool click on this box. Yeah, the Arrow does that too. When you power it on, it it does a little freaky thing with its lights all like Christmas treeing, and then it goes shh, like that, very audibly. Yeah, it's insane. It's working! Yeah. I'm working now. The other Universal Audio, I had an Apollo, an Apollo 8, one of the first Thunderbolt ones with like, it had eight preamps in it. Yeah. It did the same thing when you would boot it up. It would do the little Christmas tree and it so I don't know what to, what it's doing. There's nothing mechanical. I think it feel like I felt like that was like power hitting the preamps, you know? Yeah, but if they're gonna make it get, have a sound, why don't they have it be a cool sound like? Because <laughs> I don't think they're saying the sound. I think it's just the sound it makes on that whatever is happening in there. I don't. We've got to have some audio engineers listening to us. Can they oh, tell sure. us, please? I mean, tell us what this is because I've heard the same thing. I've always always a little intimidated by it. You know, you know, when I think about my career, (laughs) I always, I always intended to be a white collar worker, you know, like my parents both were, I intended to be a journalist or a writer or a broadcaster, you know, from, from the time I was young, I didn't want to be, I mean, in grade school, I still wanted to be a lawyer because my dad was a lawyer, but as I got older, I, I wanted to be in some kind of publishing or broadcasting. And 
I always pictured myself working exclusively with words or, um, you know, thoughts. But when I got into music, I suddenly was interacting with devices, machines in the form of amplifiers. Sure. And recording equipment, microphones. <clears throat> and although I didn't, I wasn't somebody, because there are a lot of musicians that do this. They discover this world of recording equipment and amps and guitars, and, and, it, and they just dive into it. You know, they have, a, they have an engineer's mind. Mm. And although they didn't study engineering, they really get, uh, they understand what amplifiers do, and they want to make amplifiers better. And I didn't have that feeling, but but just uh, decades and decades of hanging out with musicians in uh, in all of these different environments. Right. You know, it's it's a very it's a it's an electrical environment, an electrical engineering environment. Mm -hmm. Live sound is, and most of the people that work in the concert business, you know, they're coming from a very blue collar place of we need to keep these machines running yeah and everything's happening through through a system of cables you know it's just like it's just like being the tech guy at a computer company you're you're running the machines and so i i learned to talk about what the machines were doing mm -hmm. and i i learned the i learned the language of it and i also learned to be interested in it what are these machines doing? What does this knob do? And I was unpacking boxes the other day, and um, I have all these guitar effects pedals. And at a certain point, 15 years ago, I, I became friends with the Matthews family that owned and operated the Electroharmonics Company. Hmm. And Electro Harmonics famously made the Big Muff distortion box, mm -hmm. but they made a hundred other really cool pedals. And they were very kind of bulletproofy, made in Brooklyn kind of yeah. kind of guitar pedals. And they really stood out from the made in Japan guitar pedals. They were bigger and clunkier and in, in a lot of ways like not as elegant, but kind of beautiful in their way. And so I was friends with Susie Matthews, the daughter of of uh, Big Matthews, the 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 guy, the guy that founded the company is one of these characters that, you know, ended up living a hilariously um, incorrect life, you know, or, or just like an exaggerated life. And so Susie made me an electroharmonics dealer so that I would get badges to, to the NAM conference and stuff. If I wanted to go, I could go there as an electroharmonics dealer. And what that meant was I got all these pedals, all these quirky pedals that, that run sounds through filters of different kinds and do, you know, modulations and... Anyway, I've spent I've spent uh, many decades. What would it be? Thirty years now, mm -hmm. standing around in in technicals, you know, like amp repair shops and all of the guitar stores, 
keyboard, this and that, standing around talking about electricity and sound as they move through all these different mechanical permutations. And I was, I was there for the transfer. You know, I was there for a lot of the movement of that stuff into digital. And so I had to understand, you know, I, I had to sit with the, with all the, these people as they tried to understand modeling and how, this wasn't going to be mechanical anymore. It was going to be a model of a mechanical system. And so in the computer, you were going to, it was all going to happen inside there, but it was going to sound like it was actually running through all these geranium chips and whatnot. Germanium mm-hmm. chips, mm-hmm. not geranium. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, I sat there again, not, I wasn't the actual engineer, but I was sitting in the room listening to the engineer learn about it. And, you know, and a lot of people were very doubtful about it. The the United Audio people, or Universal Audio, like they had the best sounding mechanical equipment. And they dove headlong into modeling their own equipment. A long time before. Well, you know, while other companies were like, we're not going to do that. And so UA has like this, like industry standard level of, of great sounding Mm -hmm. models of their own equipment. I mean, I'm not good enough to know if, like, if you played me the original, you know, something through this preamp from 1978, that's like, you know the benchmark for warmest tones in the world for a voice. You know what I'm saying? Like if you played me that and then played the modeled one, I'm not good enough to tell the difference, but I feel like the audio pros, a lot of them are also can't tell this stuff is really good. Like really, really good. It's really good. And, and like I say, in 1995, when, you know, when pro gear started to, started to trickle in and then definitely in the two thousands when, when you had, you had the DAWs, the, the computer recording stuff, you know, at first everybody I knew was like, we're never going to leave recording to tape. We're never going to leave a completely analog signal chain. And then one by one, the, the programs got better, the modeling got better, and also the industry did that thing that industries do where they just started making decisions on behalf of everybody. Like, nope, we're all going to – it's moving to this. And if you don't like it, then you're not going to be able to use any of this stuff. Right, yep. It's it's like my own laptop. Like, at a certain point, if you don't upgrade the OS, which the laptop is barely able to run <laughs> – then you're not going to be able to even use stuff that's completely unrelated to the OS. Like this freaking, this box was made, you know, my audio box here was made for an earlier OS and they're updating it for some reason. I don't know to keep the Russians out of it. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, there's no new functionality from these updates. The update just keeps it running and the computer needs an update apparently to keep the Russians out or whatever to get, to get new fonts. Right but they're going to keep doing it until it doesn't run anymore. 
And it, my computer now is at that level where every time I turn it on, it's like, you need to upgrade, update your operating system today, now, un- tonight, at the latest. And I keep putting it off. I keep putting it off because I know it's going to brick it. But Well, I mean, certain- I, I, to Apple's credit, they don't brick a lot of their laptops when you upgrade them. Well, except I've had stuff where I upgraded it one OS too far, as I'm sure you have. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, yeah, doesn't doesn't want to doesn't feel very happy. I mean, there there are a lot the the way the operating systems work with Apple are that you know they're they're only compatible with a certain number of generations back. So the latest greatest, you know, you could walk in the store and you buy a, a Mac today, it's going to be running the latest greatest OS, and you can't put anything older on it. They're built that way so that you cannot downgrade i mean there they, i'm sure that there are people who are really really good at pulling this stuff apart who could probably make it work but i'm talking about a regular human being you can't so you know if you if you go out there today and you buy the latest greatest mac today it's going to be running monterey you can't you can't put catalina on there just because you like catalina mm. better you can't do that no no Whereas with a windows machine um you certainly can put older versions of of windows assuming that you have the drivers that you'd need to power the devices that are inside of it and hooked up to it you could run hmm. a much older operating system you could run linux you can run whatever you want and yeah hmm. it's true that you can kind of do that with a mac uh as well using an alternative operating system but mac OS itself is going to be sort of like when you buy it you get that operating system and forward and then how far hmm. forward it goes also varies because at certain points they start to like phase out their support for the older hardware so that's why if you're like me and you have older Macs still in service, you can only upgrade them so far. You know, you might, well, this one, this one can go to Monterey. That's cool. This one can only go to Catalina. This one that's stuck on Snow Leopard, you know, so you no, get these Snow Leopard. ancient ones, but actually depending on what you're using it for, sometimes those operating systems are just fine. I, I mean, I think Apple's doing a good job adding features but I can't say that any of the stuff that they've added in the last, I don't know, five, 10 years, even like, I'm not talking about performance improvements, things getting faster, little tweaks to the Chrome that I like. So that's fine. But like the major features of the operating system that, that, are, that are, that are exposed to the user for me, they're not, they're not that like significant. <laughs> like, I don't like, I think it's, it's really cool that like, I can hit, I think, is it mail that I noticed this the other day? Inside of mail, there's like, as you're composing an email, let me try it right now. Yeah, as you're composing an email in the upper right of the, of the, um, of the Chrome, you know, you can change the font. Does a, little, does a little paper clip pop up and ask you if you need help? No, fortunately, oh, no. But there's a, little, there's a little emoji, little happy face. You can click it and it helps you insert an emoji really quick. I like that. That's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, that's a nice. neat little... A neat little improvement, a neat little upgrade, but you know, I I always feel like they should work on making the operating system faster. That should be the only thing. I I remember when Apple did that, everyone got upset. They're like, "We're gonna come out." You know, there was Leopard, and then there was Snow Leopard, and Snow Leopard had some new features. But the big deal was that we're gonna make it faster. And I, that's always seems like that's what they should be working on. Stop adding new features. Like do do a new feature release, and then. A performance release. Don't tell. Mm. Don't tell me for one second. I'm not going to believe you if you tell me that all of the code in macOS is optimized as far as it can be taken. No, no, I, definitely not. Outrageous. It feels slow. MacOS feels slow. Everything feels slow. All the computers, the fastest 
brand new fastest computer you can get. I'm not talking about like encoding, you know, transcoding video or something. I'm not talking about that. Oh, I'm just talking no. about like interacting with it. Everything is slow. Phones are slow. They are slow. Everything's they slow. They weren't they weren't that slow when they first came out. The first ones were faster than these ones. And I think it's because they want to keep Dan, they want to keep us down. I know I know uh we talk about conspiracy on this show. Yeah. Oh, very little, Not as little as possible. Not enough. But uh but I just I feel like Apple and uh and the other and the NSA they're colluding to make us think that things are slow that our minds are slow mm. in order to get us to buy more sugary snacks. Mm-hmm. But I I feel like now I've been resisting knowing about this stuff and all of this electrical stuff got into my head because I wanted to play guitar <clears throat> and it wasn't that I wanted even to sound good. Cause I, I'm like you were saying, I don't have the, I don't have the ears, but more than that, I don't have the temperament to care about my tone that much. And partly it's because I know I was never a good enough guitar player to know what to do with good tone. Mm-hmm. I was reading some article by who was oh Steve Vai was saying that he played Eddie Van Halen's rig one time. He got up and like plugged into his amps and he said, I you know, I was I was gonna play the guitar and I wanted and I knew it was gonna sound like Eddie Van Halen. And he was like, I played through his rig and it just sounded like Steve Vai. Uh, because I'm Steve Vai <laughs> right. and my guitar doesn't sound, it's just an amplifier. He sounds like Eddie Van Halen cause he's Eddie Van Halen and I'm, I'm the same, you, you know, plug me into any, any guitar rig. The first thing I'll do, and this is crazy. I never understood this about myself when I realized it, but the first thing I do is turn the distortion down. And if you turn the distortion up, it's cooler sounding mm-hmm. and you can get away with murder. And as somebody that's not that good of a guitar player, I don't understand why I didn't go toward <laughs> getting away with murder. Uh-huh. But I always turned the distortion down because I wanted it to sound more articulate. And then it, you could really hear me not quite be able to play what I was imagining. If you, if you, I mean, it were, you know, you, you've played guitar much longer than me. And when I was in college, uh, high school, end of high school and college, I started taking lessons. Um, and they had to be classical guitar lessons because that's yeah. what my mom would agree to pay for because <laughs> she worked at the university and the university had a teacher there who was a guitar teacher who uh, would give the lessons and he was giving a significant discount to like teachers and their kids. And that's what she was willing to pay for. So I learned classical guitar, which was beautiful. I was an amazing classical guitarist, except I never wanted to play classical guitar. I wanted to play Led Zeppelin Mm -hmm. and nothing that I learned. I mean, yes, the fretting skills translated well to you know, any other form of guitar playing, but I'd been playing guitar for five years and I didn't know what a G seven chord was Mm. because no one had ever taught me a single chord. I could have told you, I can't now, I could have told you every note on the fretboard and every single place I could play a C or a D or a G individually, 
but all things I don't know. Right. But I don't know them anymore. I mean, it's useless, but I just like, I can't remember any Spanish I learned, but I couldn't play. Like I knew like G A D C E F. Mm -hmm. That was it. Those are the only chords. I maybe a, a minor. That was it. Like I, I had no knowledge of that. I didn't know conventional, like rockabilly picking styles. I didn't know anything that translated into what I actually wanted to be playing. So here I had these amazing like skills, but no knowledge of how to use them in a way that made like any kind of reasonable sense. And that was really frustrating to me. But when I would try and figure that stuff out, you know, I could pick up a regular guitar and I could play solos pretty easily because I knew where all the notes were. I knew all the scales. I knew all that stupid stuff, but I couldn't just sit down and someone's like, Hey, you know, like play that, you know, play that CCR song. Like, nope, I have no idea how to play this simple three chord CCR song. Can't play it to save my life, but I can play the, you know, the solo to whatever song you, I'll listen to it <laughs> once and I'll play along with it, you know, mm -hmm. like easy, but that wasn't what I wanted to be playing. It's not entertaining to see someone just like, that's annoying as hell. And, uh, and I, you know, but I always used to notice that when people would go into the guitar store, you could always tell like the pros from the beginners by how much distortion, you know, if they walk up, Oh, I'm going to try that guitar. You know, no, no, the, the, Le the Les Paul, the special, the, sp the special. And mm. then they'd hand it to the guy and immediately just turns the distortion all the way up. I'm like, mm. like <laughs> you're not going to hear, you're not hearing the guitar. You're hearing the amp. And, um, and I just, I always admired people like you actually, who would come in and who would turn it down and you could hear what they were playing and they weren't trying to cover over what they were playing with the distortion. Because if you look at like what half these kids that play, you know, metal and these other things that sounds so impressive and then you turn the distortion off, it's like two notes, ding, dong, ding, dong. It's like, it's not anything. Um, so it's not skill, but it's showman. It's more showmanship with that kind with distortion. It's showmanship. Well, but you know, your ears like it. Yeah, like they the, do. Uh, the guys in Not a Surf, uh, Matthew plays with a lot more distortion than I do, but he is, you know, he's crafting really nice um, sounds. Mm -hmm. And so, Not a Surf, I, you know, I studied them so closely because we toured together a lot. And I really loved their show. Mm -hmm. Like I would stand in the audience and watch their show, and I I I loved their song, and I loved their sh or their songs, and I loved their show. And I I would watch them and just try to learn what they were doing. Like why are they so appealing? Mm -hmm. And you know, and he had this warm, washy guitar sound. Mm. Uh, and he hardly ever played a lead. It was always chords and and tones. And uh, when I was making that Western State record a couple of years ago, or when I was, you know, what what I was doing was listening to recordings that I made in 1998 and 99, but in 2000 and as I would solo the different guitar parts, mm -hmm. you could always tell mine because it was it was so clean, the tone. Like, there wasn't distortion. And I didn't remember, because that's that was my Long Winters thing, too. Right. I didn't remember that I was 
that that's always been what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have thought, you know, you would think we were a big rock band. We had very large amps. <laughs> we were making a very loud sound. <laughs> yeah. And I was always like, ah, that's too distorted. And my other guitar player, Stephanie, her guitar tone was very distorted and and it made for a good a good blend right. between the two of us. But but I at some level my ear wants to hear warmer more fuzzy sounds. Mm -hmm. It's just my hands on the guitar. I always want these tiny little little notes to come out, little grace notes and stuff that and articulateness, I guess, more than anything. But I don't actually have the hands to be or I'm not I'm not there going you know, my hands are like clankety clankety clankety. So it's a it's a it's one of the many ways in which I seem to do with my body something that is like not what my mind prefers. Mm -hmm. This is true across a lot of things in my life where I look at it and I go, well, it's like my haircut. I look at pictures of myself over the last 30 years and it's just as easy for me as it would be for anybody else to go, well, in that picture, you have a good haircut. That's a good haircut that you had. And then pictures taken from one month later, you have gone in and repaired that haircut by yourself with scissors in the middle of the night. And you have ruined that haircut mm -hmm. and made it into this haircut, which is not your best work. And over the over the course, and the same is true with my with the glasses frames that I've chosen, and whether or not I am clean shaven or not, and certain sort of style uh, choices I've made, where even in the moment, I knew this is going to look bad, and I'm doing it anyway. Because I'm ex because I'm expressing some other thing that isn't you know the the fact that this looks bad isn't the important thing. The important thing is that this what I'm doing this haircut or this these glasses that I'm choosing are signaling something, and the and the fact that it's stupid looking is is a less lesser of a consideration. Mm -hmm. But now when I look back at the picture of me then, I don't remember what I was signaling, but you can sure as hell tell that I look stupid. And it, and it it's confusing to me. It remains confusing to me. Like I was wearing a mustache at that point because I because it meant something. Right. But now it's just a picture of me with a mustache. Uh-huh. And it, when I think back <laughs> over it all this time, yeah, you know, and I think in 1996, if you had just decided that you were playing guitar with distortion, you probably would have had a more appealing sound, one you would have liked better, and it would have suited your your guitar playing abilities better. Yeah, sure. And it all could have worked to make your band sound more pleasing. Yeah. Same songs, 
even with the same songs, mm -hmm. just a simpler, choosing a simpler tone, a simpler part, play the same song, mm -hmm. your life could have been easier. And likewise, if you had just gone to a hair salon and showed them a picture of you from five months ago and said, I'd like to keep this hairstyle because it's grown out a little bit, but what I want you to do is take it back to, not all the way back to uh, the hairstyle I would have coming out of prison, <laughs> but like I want you just to take it back to this hairstyle from five months ago that was cool looking, and I'd like to keep that hairstyle from now on and just have it, just have that thing be solved. It no longer needs to signal anything. It's just signaling that I that I've found this the the way that my hair looks best, right? Which I think is true for most people. You look at pictures of them from back then and from now. Their hair has changed, but there are there are themes that are consistent throughout time. They look like themselves throughout time, and I and I do not. If you if you see pictures of me over the last 20 years, I do not look like myself. 85% mm -hmm. of the time, I don't look like myself. I look like me if a child were trying to express themselves through the design of me. Mm. Like, here's a, you know, like, here's a man. What would you like to do to make this man look, you know, and the child look would be different. like... different. What could you have? Yeah, you what if him? he, what if he, you know, like... With a little toolbox over here, like you could put this hair or you could put this hair on him and the child would just cycle through everything, right? And and then eventually, probably at a certain age, the child would go, this is, this is the man. This is what he looks like. I've cycled through everything. This is the best version. Let's play a different game. And somehow I didn't ever do that until it feels like right now I... I, I, because I'm not out in the world, I'm not performing anywhere. I feel like, ah, uh, maybe this is, maybe I'm there. Maybe this is it. I, I am a middle-aged guy now. My beard is prematurely gray. Maybe if I just keep my hair and my beard at this length, it's exactly the right length to communicate to my suburban neighbors that I am not like them because mm -hmm. I wear my... I wear everything just a little long, longer than the other guys at the hardware store. But it's not all the way to how did this person get into our neighborhood, right? Somewhere in between there. You have, the, have it all just a little bit outside the box so it's clear that you're the only one in the neighborhood that has ever met anyone in Alice in Chains. <laughs> But not all the way to like I used to work for Alice in Chains, uh -huh. or worse, I still work for Alice in Chains even though I'm in my fifties. And and I say that, but every time I walk past a mirror, I look and I go, hmm. But what if I, you know, I like my hand goes over to the scissors or whatever. What if I, and I don't I don't think any of my neighbors are looking at their hair. And thinking what it says to their neighbors, you know, mm. other than I am conforming to the norms. I would like to think about my hair as little as possible. Let it conform to the norms 
and with minor modifications to account for my large ears. And then let me, let me never think of it again. Right. And my only worry is that my hair is falling out. They're not worried about like, or not, it's not even that I'm worried. I'm interested in communicating something to my neighbors about my status vis-a-vis the members of Alice in Chains. Right. And like, that's fun for me, or that is something that I'm, uh, that as I make decisions in the course of my life, you know, because I also might run into somebody from Alice in Chains in my normal life and my, you know, and I'm thinking now, what, what am I communicating to them? I cert- they know I never worked for them, or at least you're going to have to guess that at least one of the members of Alice in Chains remembers the people that worked for them over the course of the years. It's possible there are members of the band that would be like, did you ever work for us? No. Uh-huh. I'm a white-collar person. I'm not somebody that ever worked for Alice and Jane. Yeah. I don't work for anybody. You know, I'm, that's, I know how to make the amp sound a certain way, but I don't know how to make the amp sound every way. Uh-huh. 